0: Christina Glock, welcome to the Thick Boot Camp podcast. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, we are excited to have you. And, uh, and I just want to quickly introduce you uh, based on how we found you. And, uh, and it was based on the really cool book you and your children worked together. So why don't you, you know, as a, as a quick introduction to just that one piece of, uh, of you and, and your journey, talk to us or uh, we'll talk to folks about uh, this really cool book that you're,
0: uh, you wrote with your children. Oh sure. Uh so I wrote a book called Ninja Food that's a book designed for children who are dealing with dietary restrictions due to various medical diagnoses and I very much wrote it through the lens of being applicable to not only children with Lyme disease but children who might have any chronic condition um that's having an impact on what they can and cannot eat. And it was very much inspired by my son's journey. Um I have Lyme disease and co-infections. My daughter had Lyme disease and my son had Lyme disease, Bartonella and Babesiosis and he was only 4 years old when he got diagnosed so as an adult me having to shift my diet um was challenging but something i was able to do but as a you know 4 year old child that is unbelievably challenging. He couldn't understand. And it was really, really tricky when all of his friends were having goodies and he could not have them all of a sudden. And there just happened to be one day that we were standing in the kitchen and I got an apple out of the fridge and I said, ooh, this is a ninja apple. It's going to help kick the lime bugs right out of your body. And he was into karate at that point and he just got into it and was all excited and we were doing little ninja moves all around the kitchen and it just became the language I started using with him. And And I remember saying, I should write a children's book about this because there was nothing I could not find anything that was helpful for me to sit down and read with him. It was really me just trying to share and educate and make it as smooth as I possibly could uh, for him to go through this entire process. And uh, over the course of COVID, we were home a lot more than we typically would be. um, And it actually gave me this window of time to make it happen. So we wrote the children's book. Uh, My children were a huge part of the illustrations. They're actually the characters featured in the book. And uh, we have a lot of recipes at the end so a lot of the recipes that I came up with there were many, many that did not go well initially but as I got better at uh, making different recipes for him, I found some that he absolutely loved and all of his friends loved and those are all included at the end of the book and there's pictures of the kids cooking the different recipes. And uh, we actually did a Kickstarter campaign and through that uh, raised over $11,000 and we were able to donate a ton of books to Limelight Foundation, St. Jude's Children's Hospital, the Lime Warrior Group. And uh, it was just this beautiful way of getting it out into the world, and we got feedback from so many families uh, how helpful it was for their children to realize they're not alone, and other people and other children have dietary restrictions, and it can be it can be okay, and we can kind of make it fun and exciting and be creative with it. Uh, so I would definitely say it's one of my uh, one of my projects I'm the most proud of. And you should be. And thank you for uh, for uh, for doing that
1: great work. And we're going to build out. Uh, a lot of this podcast around that book. Uh, but before we get there, I, I do know that the folks who listen to this podcast are always looking for shortcuts, right? And and one of the things that we know that from the beginning of your Lyme disease journey, when you're at the prehabilitation phase that we talk about here at Boot Bootcamp, really for the rest of your life, um, you know, movement, mm-hmm. uh, uh, diet, and um and sleep are all vital uh to a healing journey and of course maintaining your health
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh you know and 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 the dietary issues that a child will deal with will be very different than the dietary issues that a an adult will deal, deal with because they're not just little adults um and and it really is a very important gap that you're filling here with this book so thank you for doing that and, and i know folks are gonna be really excited about that but more than just that Folks are going to be excited about who my guest co-host is today. Uh, one of our favorite people in the community and one of the, one of the people that um, our community loves as a guest co-host is uh, my uh, my good friend and artist, uh, Khalil uh Fuller, is, is my guest co-host. So Khalil, I want to say hi to the folks before we uh, move forward with uh, introducing the rest of Christina's journey to the community.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for the introduction. Hello, everyone, and hope you enjoy the podcast today. So, Christina, let's talk about first where you are.
1: I, I understand that you you are on the East Coast. I am. We are in Stowe, Vermont. And uh, have you been, uh, are, are people from Vermont called Vermonters? Or, I mean, what are you called when you're from Vermont?
0: I grew up in Massachusetts, so I think Vermonters will always consider me a flatlander. But yes, people in Vermont would call themselves Vermonters. <laughs> right. So.
1: Talk to us about uh, what it was like to grow up in um, in New England and uh, what your relationships what what your relationship was during your childhood with the outdoors.
0: Yeah, so I grew up in Massachusetts uh, in Central Mass, and we had a summer place on Cape Cod. So being outdoors has always been a very important, significant part of my life um you know looking back at my childhood my mom was a teacher so the last day of school we'd pack up the car and head to the cape and we wouldn't come back until school began and my entire childhood I was just outdoors you'd wake up in the morning we'd be outside riding bikes playing baseball going to the beach fishing crabbing um I'm a big skier so in the winter time when we weren't down the cape we'd be on the hill my dad was ski patrol so every single weekend and that's where we were from the minute the hill opened until it closed so I've always been been somebody who enjoys the outdoors. I played sports growing up. And um, at the point that I graduated from graduate school and was trying to determine where I wanted to live, uh, I ended up here in Vermont because I used to come up here to go skiing all the time. So I think Vermont has a lot to offer in the sense of being outdoors. And uh, the skiing is absolutely incredible. So it's definitely Uh, being in New England for me is where I will always be. I appreciate the seasons. At the point where I'm done with winter, we're switching over to spring. At the point where I'm done with spring, we're switching over to summer. So I very much enjoy the fact that there's a lot of different things you can do throughout the year.
1: So Christina, by the time you had grown up in Massachusetts, the line belt had expanded up to where you were growing up, right? Mm-hmm. I, I grew up in Long Island and the belt, the line belt really began around the Long Island Sound, both on Long Island and Connecticut. But by the time somebody as young as you are grew up in, in Massachusetts, um, the line belt had expanded way north of where you were. So talk to us about what kind of information and training, uh, either through school or through social sources you had about ticks and tick diseases? And how did you keep yourself
0: uh, or not keep yourself safe from, uh, you know, from uh, Lyme? You know, I feel like growing up, we never talked about ticks. We never talked about Lyme disease. I'm assuming, you know, we know now there's a lot of ticks on Cape Cod, but I don't ever remember having an experience of ticks. If we were outdoors, you know, my mom would be one who would, you know, put a little sun uh, sun spray on and also uh, su- bug spray, but it wasn't a big part of my childhood. I feel like at the point that I moved to Vermont, if we were out in the woods, I might throw a little D on, but it wasn't anything I really ever paid much attention to. Um, I never had the experience growing up of having ticks on me. And even at the point that I got sick, no, I didn't that- find a tick.
1: That you knew of,
0: but... That I knew of, (laughs) exactly. So there was no clear indication that, oh, I had a tick on me. Oh no, I'm not feeling well. I absolutely did not have that experience. So I feel like my knowledge base of Lyme disease truly only exists because of my experience and my daughter actually had a bite prior to me being sick and she had a bullseye and we went to the doctor we were told it was a spider bite and she then had her own journey of neurological symptoms and not feeling well and looking back now if i look at the picture it's so clearly a bullseye and i had i had no idea when the doctor said it was a spider bite i said oh it's a spider bite and i moved on and i didn't ever think oh maybe this is Lyme disease with these symptoms she's currently experiencing. Uh, So really all of my knowledge base has been developed over the last nine years as a result of dealing with this.
1: So before, before we go forward, and, and, and I'm glad we are foreshadowing some of the things we're going to talk about in a minute, um, I, I'd like to walk back to you uh, you and your childhood growing up in Massachusetts. So you, you shared with us that your mom was a teacher and you were an outdoorsy gal and an outdoorsy family. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us about what your vision was for your future, meaning how did you think you were going to be serving the world and where were you going to get the educational support you needed to serve the world the way you envisioned um, that service?
0: Absolutely. Uh, So ever since I was really little, my parents said they knew I was going to be a social worker. I think I was the kid on the playground and you know, in kindergarten, defending other children who were being picked on. So working with people was always something that I've had a passion for. Um, Moving through high school, I always supported the partners program where we worked with individuals who had developmental disabilities. Um, I did my undergraduate studies at Salve Regina in social work and my master's degree at Simmons School of Social Work. So I knew that helping people and working with children was going to be um, where I went professionally. And I feel like through all of my internships and all of the work experiences I've had, it's always just felt right. It comes very naturally to me. And uh, I feel like the work that I do is something that lots of people reflect. How could, I don't know how you could be a social worker. I feel that way about every other profession. Uh, You know, this is just kind of my calling and where I've landed. And uh, I absolutely love the work that I do. And I feel like I have the ability to bring so many pieces to the table in regards to support people. So you
1: you didn't get sick until you were about 30. So what were mm-hmm. you doing between when you completed your graduate
0: studies and when you finally started to uh, get sick? Yeah. So uh, when I finished graduate school, I moved up here right away and started working as a social worker. Uh, I had a lot of free time at that point. I didn't have children. So I was working and I spent a lot of time um, with friends. I would ski, I would snowshoe, lots of time outdoors, traveling, seeing people. And when I was 25 years old, I got married and I had my daughter right before my 27th birthday. So 26, um, you know, pregnant. Wasn't able to do as much skiing, obviously, uh, but I do feel like I was kind of in mom mode, you know, having a little one. Uh, but we still did a lot. I would bundle her up and would be at the bike path, and we would go to different events in the community. So I feel like even though I had a young child, it very much didn't slow me down in the sense of having the opportunity to be out in the world and experiencing things with her. Going to farmers markets, setting up blankets, and hanging out with friends with the kids running around, um, and then I had my son right when I turned 30 so I had two little ones and uh, again just very very busy very tired was working full-time raising two young children Um, but again you know I remember being on maternity leave with my son and we went to Santa's village and we went to Storyland so even though I had a newborn and a three-year-old we were very much out in the world uh, taking advantage of everything that there was to do around us.
1: So when did your symptoms begin? You did you did hint earlier in the in, in our conversation that it was around around the age of 30, you started to get sick. Now, is that when you became chronically ill or did your symptoms just begin when you were 30?
0: Yeah, so it was around, uh, I think I was 31. It was that summer. I remember being on the phone with my mom and saying to her, I just don't feel good. I feel so foggy. And I'm allergic to everything in Vermont. I have a lot of seasonal allergies. So I assumed it was just allergies. Um, But after a couple of weeks, I knew it was something different. Uh, It wasn't just that I was stuffed up. And um, I had a lot of brain fog, a lot of fatigue, and then I started to have pain on the top of my arms, pain on the back of my legs, and just a lot of odd symptoms that didn't really make any sense. And I remember going to my primary care physician they said, maybe you have a virus. Um, And so that was in August. And I would say January, February is when things really started to spin out for me. Um, The air hunger symptoms of babesiosis were horrendous. I felt like I was breathing through a cocktail straw and it didn't matter what I did. I wasn't getting enough air. I always felt like I was going to just, if I closed my eyes, like I was going to pass out. I never did, but just having that feeling of being so Um, exhausted. The pain was absolutely horrendous. Um, Thinking was hard. Like to come up with words was challenging. And I worked through all of this. Um, And not only did I have the fatigue and all of the symptoms, but I was working full time. I had two young children. Life in general would have been exhausting and chaotic for anybody, let alone all of a sudden having these symptoms. And then driving got really challenging for me at one point, I had a lot of tunnel vision where anything going by me on the sides would make me feel really, really um, just disconnected while I was driving. And it was not a pleasant experience. You want to feel completely in control when you're behind the wheel. And I just felt um, very out of it. Again, that brain fog, the neurological component. And, you know, at this point, I'd been to my primary doctor many times, Um, I ended up with pulmonology, I ended up with rheumatology, I ended up with neurology, so I'm working with all of these different people, and everybody kind of did their own thing, but nobody communicated and did everything together. So the pulmonologist had me on all of these inhalers, even though my asthma tests were normal, it was clear that I wasn't getting enough oxygen based on the um, oxygen readers that they use. And then neurologically, all of the migraines, they had me on migraine medication. And then yeah, it was just everybody was doing their own prescribing without anybody actually understanding what was going on. And okay. I remember. Well, let's pause there for a second. Yeah. About a couple more pieces. So, um, do you recall
1: being bitten by a tick anytime before you began to exhibit symptoms at around your 31st uh, birthday?
0: Nope. I never saw a tick. I never had any degree of a rash. Um, I suspect that it was uh, down the Cape when we were on vacation because it was about a week after that that I started to not feel well, Um, but I never had any Rashes, never saw a tick. So there was, and I did regular Lyme testing through my primary care physician that all came back negative. Um, And again, I knew nothing about Lyme at that point. So I assumed that that was accurate. And I never thought about Lyme until a couple of years later. So why was your primary care
1: physician testing you for Lyme? Was that just a part of the panel of blood tests that you would do as as part of your yearly checkup? Or was this something that your primary care physician has suspected you may be dealing with when you began to exhibit your symptoms?
0: I had asked for them to test me for it because they weren't sure what was going on. And a chiropractor I had been working with who had her own experience with Lyme disease said, have you ever been bit by a tick? And I said, no. And she said, it sounds to me like this could be Lyme. So that's when I was tested. And when it was negative, I just assumed that that meant that wasn't what was going on. And what kind of testing were you doing at that time? Uh, Just your typical blood panels where they came back and said everything looked great and I'm young and I'm healthy and they're not sure what's going on. Maybe you're tired because you work full time and you have you have little kids. It was a lot of um, a lot of dismissive pieces. So, Christina, in most
1: cases, what we find is that folks can manage, you know, this bacteria now or or this combination of germs until there is either. Just overwhelmed because, you know, you're just tired from you know from burning the candle at both ends, or because of some, you know, some uh you know, immunosuppressive event, you know, some traumatic event. Some in some cases it's divorce, in some cases people dying, in some cases losing jobs, but you know, there are these kinds of things. So it sounds like you were you were at le- at the very least overwhelmed because you had two full-time jobs between, you know, being a mom, two very small children, and a job. Uh, but what else was
0: going on in your life at that time, uh, just before you had gotten sick? Yeah, so at the point that I had been sick for a couple of months, um, we moved, and the house that we moved into was an older house that needed a lot of work. So we had purchased it. And then it was about a four month period before we moved in. But I remember my symptoms going from bad to much worse at the point that we moved into the new house. And it was after spending, you know, two days straight in the kitchen, bleaching everything, ripping things out of the cabinets. Um, and years later we would learn that we actually had mold in the basement. So I think that that was a contributing factor to the spiral that occurred with my symptoms getting so much worse. Um, but I remember even to this day, I still have chemical sensitivity and prior to Lyme, I never had that, but I think having all of that time with cleaning products took it from where it was at to really significantly worse.
1: Or, or more likely, it's the mold. Quite frankly, I mean, the cleaning products probably were 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 not good for you. But the but the the mold is 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 you know it, it 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 will take you down, right? It is immunosuppressive, and and there are so many different microbes with you know within that mold spectrum that can have a negative impact on you. But you know, one of the things we learned from Dr. Rawls, for example, was that you know it's very rare for someone to go from tick bite to chronic illness unless one of two things happens you get bitten by multiple ticks at one time which clearly is not the case for you because you would have found them or you you are bitten by a tick and you find yourself in an immunosuppressive environment like a moldy environment mold is that trigger and once you have that immunosuppression from from mold then 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 your 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 tick bite microbes can just take off and it sounds like that's what happened with you
0: i would suspect yep
1: all right. So talk to us about how bad it got between the time that you first started uh, your symptoms. You then make that pivot into a new living environment, which uh, which sends your your uh, your symptoms in, in a really ugly spiral. It sounds like how bad did it get between the time that uh, you moved to your new house until the time that you were diagnosed?
0: So I moved in February of 2015 into the new house. So all the symptoms started August of 2014. Um, I didn't get formally diagnosed until October of 2016. So it was over a two-year period. And it was absolutely horrendous. Um, I was probably at least 20 pounds lighter than I am right now. And I'm not a large... um, frame to begin with. And I I describe it for people who did not know me at that time as being a walking corpse, I was moving through the motions of the day. And to be honest with you, um, I look back and I don't know how I did what I did. I don't feel like I had a choice. You know, our medical insurance was through me. Um, at the end of the day, I'm very thankful that I was a social worker because I sit most of the day had I had a position that required me to be standing and walking and lifting. There's zero Chance I would have been able to work. Um, I would come home from getting my kids from daycare and I would literally collapse into the bathtub and take Epsom salt and baking soda baths every single day. Um, it was horrendous. It was absolutely horrendous. And the fatigue is something that you can't even explain unless you have actually experienced it. Um, at one point they thought I was having seizures and put me on seizure medication, which turned me even more into a zombie. Uh, I was not having seizures. I think that it was just the neurological symptoms were so bad from Lyme. Um, yeah, it was, it was horrendous. And I look back at it and I see how far I've come and I'm so unbelievably thankful for how far I've come, but the entire experience, um, it was like groundhog day wake up survive collapse wake up survive collapse that's what the experience was
1: so during this winter of time when your symptoms were you know just uh unbelievably bad what impact was this having on your ability to serve um the population of people you were serving as a social worker
0: You know, I feel like my ability to do my job still existed because I was very much office based and I direct a program. So in regards to supporting my staff, with what they needed to do, um, I was able to continue to be in that role. If it had been five years earlier when I was very much in the field working with clients and families directly in the home, I don't know that I would have had the capacity to do that degree of work. Um, I was exhausted in a way that was not fair for me or the people that I worked with. Uh, I think that everybody knew I didn't feel well. And I guess one of the pieces I was very thankful for is at this point, I had already been working with these individuals for close to 10 years, they knew me well, they knew that there was something going on that we could not figure out. And they were just so unbelievably supportive of being present with me through this journey, but um, the amount of energy it took to get through every single day was 10 times more than it should have been, um, which made it really challenging. It was really hard to show up and do my job knowing that the amount of effort it took for me to even process and talk um, was so much higher than it should have been or what anybody else was experiencing. So, uh,
1: I'd like to f- now talk to you a little bit about uh, what impact this had on your ability to be a parent and a partner. How is this impacting, uh, you know, those elements of your life?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, at the time, um, my kiddos were little. And, you know, I think we we put a lot of uh, stress on ourselves. I, as a mom, I felt very guilty. I felt like my kids were missing out on things that they would not have been missing out on if I was feeling okay. Um, there wasn't a lot of extra. We weren't going on hikes. We weren't going to the beach constantly. It was really exhausting for me to do anything. And we spent a lot of time cuddled up on the chair, watching Disney movies and I remember my daughter when she was in kindergarten um not in kindergarten, excuse me when she was in second grade. There was an assignment at school that was like, what is your favorite thing to do? And she's like, cuddle in the chair and watch movies with my mom. So the whole time I'm sitting there beating myself up that my kids are missing out and I can't do things with them. Meanwhile, they were just like loving every second of like mom's present and cuddling us and watching TV. Um, But I do feel like I look back at their childhood um, and it's really hard for me to recognize how different all of that would have looked and felt if I had felt okay Uh, my son was only one years old and my daughter was only four and for the next two years I was unbelievably sick and then it was probably almost two years into treatment before I actually felt somewhat like myself again so there was a solid four-year window there um, where surviving was the name of the game for me so Talk to us about your children's
1: diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, Were they diagnosed before you or after you?
0: Yep. So my, both were diagnosed after me. Um, My daughter got bit when she was in preschool. Um, That's when she had the bite and on her leg. And it wasn't until my son got diagnosed um, that we got a positive Lyme hit for her. So I always feel like I try to find purpose and everything I i will forever be thankful that I got sick with Lyme disease because I don't think they would have figured out what was going on with my son if I did not know what I know. Um, So for my daughter, it was a lot of fatigue a lot of neurological symptoms. They had diagnosed her with pediatric migraines. That's not what was actually going on. We know that now, but at the time, um, we thought it was pediatric migraines. So hers was much more neurological, lots of stomach aches, and she's a really healthy eater. She's the kid who wants sauerkraut instead of cookies. And I feel like part of the reason she never got really sick is because her diet was so unbelievably clean. And with my son, It started off with uh, urine urgency. He went from fine to needing to be in the bathroom every three minutes, like a light switch. And about a week and a half into that happening, he started losing his vision. Everything would turn white. And at the point that we were with the eye doctor and the urologist and all of a sudden the neurologist, I was like, we got to get him tested for Lyme disease like this was what I dealt with all the different doctors everybody's looking at their own individual thing. And it was probably six weeks into that journey that we got him tested and then two weeks later we had positive Lyme and Bartonella tests for him. And we were able to start treatment right away. But it was rough business. He got really sick. And I feel like all of preschool, um, all of kindergarten, he was surviving you know, he couldn't sit up in circle time unless he was in a chair because he was lying on his friends. Uh, You can't possibly be a learner when you are having the urgency and feeling like you have to go to the bathroom nonstop. And little kids can be cruel. And, you know, there was lots of kids who made comments about it and it made him really sad. And, you know, I think for him, the world shutting down halfway through uh, first grade was a humongous blessing for him because he was just home and he could just be. And I feel like at the point where he reentered school, at the point that schools opened again for second grade, um he had been treating long enough that his symptoms had decreased enough that he was all of a sudden able to be present in school in a very different way. And he's in fifth grade now and he's doing incredible and he's far ahead in regards to reading, whereas initially he was really behind. So it's just been incredible to watch this child come back to life again.
1: So you've already shared with us that you have a fair
0: amount of mommy guilt from,
1: (laughs) uh, from, you know, the, the time that your children were sick. Uh, So I feel a little guilty about asking you the question i'm going to ask you now but i'm going to ask it anyway because i always do when we have parents and children mm-hmm. who have uh, both have Lyme disease do you think there's a possibility that there may have been a, um, a an element of your children's illness that you may have passed on to them in utero do you think congenital Lyme i don't believe possible?
0: so um i had no symptomology prior to when i got sick so i wasn't having any symptoms that correlated with Lyme at all. Like I experienced, I certainly know of people who had parents who were later diagnosed with Lyme and they had Lyme. Um, and I know of people who have been pregnant. So I've l- met a lot of people through uh, the online community, but for my own personal story, both my kids had bites. So my daughter had a bullseye okay. and son um, at the end of July had a very bubbly rash on his leg. Uh, What We went to the doctor, they told me it was a spider bite and it was then the following January that his symptoms just spiraled out of control. And it was interesting because the Lyme specialist we were working with, I showed her pictures of his bite and she took out a whole binder of all of these marks um, from people she had removed the ticks from. And it was bubbly rash after bubbly rash after bubbly rash and I had no idea that you could have a bubbly rash. I thought it was just a bullseye. So even having Lyme disease myself at that point, knowing what I knew, I still miss the fact that my child's bite could have been from a tick.
1: All right. So now that, I've, now that I've, I've taken you as far as I can with mommy guilt, I'm going to ask you to take your mommy hat off and now put your social worker hat on. Yeah. And I want you to talk to me about what this 10-year journey for you was like, your pre-diagnostic journey was like emotionally. Yeah. Um, what were the emotions uh, that you were dealing with, and um, and how did you, um, if you did, um, keep yourself in the parasympathetic expression of your nervous system so that you could heal and you could, um, you know, be as healthy as you could be despite having two full time jobs and battling uh, some nasty microbes in your system.
0: Yeah, um, Tara. Would be the first feeling I would share. Um, I was terrified. I didn't understand what was going on with me. All the time?
1: Were you terrified all the time? Or was this something that was coming and going?
0: No, it was pretty consistent because I felt awful every second that I was awake. And I feel... Like over the course of that two year period of trying to determine what was going on, I must have met with 15 different doctors. So to continuously be told people didn't know what was wrong with me. Oh, it's fibromyalgia. Oh, it's chronic fatigue. Like I knew that wasn't what was going on. So I felt very helpless. I felt very scared. Um, at the point that I got a diagnosis, I felt very relieved, um, but I also knew that this was not going to be a fourteen-day of course of antibiotics, and I was going to be better. I don't think I had any. Um, I didn't realize the extent of what treating Lyme disease was going to entail. And, you know, I think I had my own therapist who I worked with through all of this, and I will forever be thankful to her because I think she was able to be that person that I could go to and talk to and very much compartmentalize what I needed to and come up with questions that I had that I needed to ask. She really was an incredible resource for me just to try to get out of that place of like, okay, we now know what this is. So what are our action steps now? How are we moving forward? What are we going to do? Um, I started working out again. And by working out again, I mean doing very, very little (laughs) because over the course of being really sick, I went from somebody who was unbelievably active to not even being able to ski because I was just so weak and I just could not do anything. Uh, So I started doing yoga and it was very basic yoga, but I just started to try to figure out how to move my body again Um, I was already eating really healthy through this journey. And I wanted to try to put pieces into my day that I knew historically were very, very good for my mental health. And I feel like as time went on, I was able to get back to a place of doing a lot of things. And uh, it was not easy. I think I needed lots of reminders to stop and breathe. Um, I also think that It was so chaotic in the sense of having young kids and working full-time and all of their activities. I think keeping busy became a coping mechanism for me because if I was very, very busy, I wasn't sitting on the couch realizing just how horrendous I actually felt. Um, Being sick has taught me how to not be in that chronic state anymore, Um, but it definitely became a way of existing.
1: So it sounds to me that uh when you're on the carousel of doctors as we call it here in tick boot camp and you know and you were going through that that invalidating process mm-hmm. uh, you were being diagnosed with a you know with um, a disorder rather than a disease because mm-hmm. they couldn't figure it out right so there had to be something wrong with you uh, and you knew what that meant as a social worker when they were diagnosing you with uh, fibromyalgia mm-hmm. Um it seems to me that you you did put some foundations in place that are consistent with the patterns that we see with folks who go on their who, who have a good head start on their healing journey. And the first thing you did is you were working with a therapist, right? And it is mm-hmm. very important to not only work with a, you know, a doctor um, who can treat you physically, but it's also important to work with a healthcare professional that can help you emotionally. So you had that piece in place, right? You mm-hmm. had your diet in place. You were bringing your, you know, you were dealing with these very important foundational issues. You were, you, you were, you, you were bringing movement back into your life. There's one other piece I want to talk to you about uh, and, and ask you about. What was your sleep like, and what kinds of things were you doing to support your sleep at that time?
0: Yeah, so I think sleep has always been really important for me. So when my kids were going to bed, I was going to bed, um, and I would get up earlier than my children to stretch and do yoga and try to integrate those pieces in. But I think for me. That six to eight hour window of sleep was an absolute must, and there were many days where it would have been ten hours just because I was so unbelievably tired. So at the point where the kids were going to bed, I was not then staying up. I was getting into bed as soon as I could because I my body needed it, and I knew my body needed to rest. So, so what was what did your sleep hygiene look like, Christina? What what were you doing to make sure that you
1: we're getting as as good a night's sleep as you could you you mm-hmm. did first give us uh, the first piece which is um you were going to bed early as your children mm-hmm. were going to bed you were going to bed and you uh, I'm sure you 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 have your you had your children on a program where they were consistently going to bed at some time so that allowed you to have that same kind of consistency
2: mm-hmm. what else
1: were you doing from, from a sleep hygiene standpoint that allowed you to get the rest that was important for you to function while you were going through this phase where you were like the walking corpse?
0: Yeah, you know, I think just consistency and routine. I'm somebody who loves showering at night. So I typically come home from work and take an Epsom salt bath just because I needed to. Um, but once the kids were in bed, I would take, a shower, which to my body was kind of triggering that getting ready for bed. Um, you know, I'm not somebody who's necessarily lying in bed watching TV or playing on my phone, so those weren't part of what my routine was. So I would shower, pajamas on. You know, at the point where I was in bed, my bed's very comfortable. I love my bed. I have a, a air purifier in my room that's kind of like white noise, um, so that was always going. So again, just not having the electronics, making sure the temperature was comfortable, and. I'm I wasn't too hot or too cold. Uh, You know, that piece took a while because with babesiosis, I used to get horrific night sweats, Um, but I feel like at the point where we were treating that and that started to go away, my sleep was definitely more restful. So you know I'm not somebody who's ever had my kids sleep in bed with me. Um, my dog at the time, it um, was a very large black lab, he did not sleep in bed with me. So I think I just really tried to make sure the environment was conducive to be able to sleep, you know, I'd have a cup of water next to me. And if I needed to take anything um, supplement wise in the evenings, you know, that was all part of the routine that I would be going through.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like you had you had very very good uh, sleep hygiene yeah. between making sure that you were consistently going to bed at uh, at a um, a time that was uh, healthy, uh, making sure that you were not using electronics for some window of time before you went to bed, and certainly not while you were in bed. Mm-hmm. Taking a shower, a warm shower, which of course reduces your core temperature, which then helps signal to your body to go to sleep. Having of course the proper. Um, a, a good bed and having the the temperature set up uh, properly. And for you having some white noise seems like it was a really good uh, set of sleep hygiene that allowed you to get good sleep. You were eating well at the time you were getting your movement and, um, and you were, unfortunately uh, you, of course, you had your therapist who was helping you on the, on the emotional front, but now you're on the carousel doctor. So how does the, how does the carousel finally end? How do you get the diagnosis after you have this good, foundation in place?
0: So the person, and she is just somebody I will forever adore, uh, was actually a nutritionist I was working with. Uh, Through this whole process, we realized that I can't have gluten. And I started working with a nutritionist. And again, we weren't really sure what was going on. And we weren't sure if there were other food issues, um, which is why the dietary restrictions began with me initially and food sensitivity testing. And I came back reactive to all of these different foods. So I started working with this nutritionist and I was with her for about six months. And I remember her saying to me, She said, You are doing everything we are asking you to do, and you are not getting better. This is not about what you're eating. If this was just because of gluten, you would not be having the degree of issues that you are still having. And I remember her saying to me, I think you need to work with somebody different. Uh, She had a lot of experience at a clinic in Southern Vermont that is well known for treating Lyme disease that she had worked at. And she said, I feel like this is Lyme disease. And of course I said, no, I tested negative for Lyme. And the doctor I was working with at this time said, said that they specialized in Lyme and had assured me that that was not what was going on for me. And uh, she was adamant that I go through igenex testing. And I remember following up with the doctor I was working with at that time, a naturopath, and saying, I know that you don't think this is what it is, but I need it. I need to see on paper that this is not what's going on. And uh, she agreed and we did the testing and two and a half weeks later, I had positive Lyme and babesiosis. And it wasn't until years into treatment that I popped positive for Bartonella as well.
1: So uh, before Cleo takes you now through your, your diagnostic journey and your treatment journey, I, I do want to make one uh, one other observation, and that is that Um, One of our past guests has called Lyme disease, the supermarket um, diagnostic disease. Mm. Um, And she said the reason she called the the supermarket diagnostic disease is because you're more likely to be diagnosed in the supermarket than you are in a medical doctor's office, or in your case, a naturopathic doctor's office. Um, because, um, Because those of you who have been on the journey know what it looks like right? Mm-hmm. And uh, although you were working with somebody who is uh, a nutritionist, you know, this person was not a healthcare professional. She was just somebody who knew what Lyme looked like mm-hmm. because of her past experience. So you really are someone that fell in the uh, supermarket diagnostic diagnosis phase uh, where you were diagnosed by somebody in the community as opposed to somebody in a medical office. So g- give me a reaction to that before Khalil takes you through the diagnostic journey.
0: I think it's the reality, and I couldn't agree more. You know, there's three individuals that I've been the supervisor for who have been diagnosed with Lyme disease and co-infections just because I was their boss. And as I was watching them and listening to them, I'm like, I'm pretty sure you have Lyme disease, um, and then they followed up with testing, and that is exactly what they ended up happening or having. So I think for me. Um, it's been a very interesting journey and it's been incredible how many people have reached out to me saying, Hey, my kid had a tick bite or Hey, so-and-so told me, Hey, you should talk to Chris because she's experienced Lyme disease. And maybe that's what you're going through. Um, the amount of people connections has been such a significant part of this journey and has been more meaningful than, um, a lot of the work that I've done with individuals, uh, who were working as doctors or different practitioners, because I feel like a lot of the pieces that I found out about or different approaches that I tried, it was me bringing information forward saying, Hey, I did research on this or so-and-so told me about this. This is something that we should be looking into. Um, so I feel like I've, I've found my own little community here in Vermont and, um, Again, just through conversation, many people I know personally have gotten an appropriate diagnosis because of my experience.
2: All right. So just going back to say you, you've seen about 10 to 13 doctors seeing Lyme disease and the doctor who diagnosed you was a natural practitioner, correct? How, how did you how did you even go about finding that? Was that something you were already into or did you just stumble upon it or just decide to just try everything out? How did you how did you go about finding that?
0: Yeah, so. I had never worked with naturopaths before. I was always somebody who'd go to my primary care physician if I needed anything. And I think at the point where the primary care physician wasn't able to help me and lots of different doctors, um, at two different hospitals that I was connected to through pulmonology, neurology, rheumatology, uh, weren't able to help me. I had individuals I knew personally here in Vermont who said you should check out this office. They're a natural path. They're going to look at your whole body as opposed to each individual part of you um in regards to symptomology and figuring out what's going on so that's how i landed with the naturopath to begin with and uh, it's not anything i had ever done before and at this point i absolutely love working with naturopaths because it's such a different approach and it really is looking at the entire being and figuring out what was going on versus just the lungs so i feel like um i have a great appreciation for the work that they do
2: yeah, they, they definitely do a lot of good work. And that's helped a lot of people in the community. So you pretty much heard about that through word of mouth. Like, was there any yeah. research involved or just people that you just knew was just giving you word of mouth pretty much?
0: Yeah, it was totally
2: word of mouth. Yep, somebody said, oh, you should see so-and-so. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and
0: that's I I
2: about how many different things were you misdiagnosed with throughout this journey? I know doctors, Could you say you work with this doctor, this doctor, and none of the doctors were coordinating with. Like, how many misdiagnoses were they, you know, what type of things were they misdiagnosing you with?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, migraines is something that I think was an absolute symptom of um, Lyme disease. So migraines, my iron was unbelievably low. I had pretty much completely depleted my body of ferritin. Um, So I was anemic. And again, now knowing babesiosis, Lyme, it all makes sense. But at the time, I didn't know that's what the cause was. Um, You know, one doctor talked about two different neurologists talked about fibromyalgia, uh, talked about chronic fatigue syndrome. So I feel like it was kind of those blanket statements. And I think for me, of course, uh, blanket diagnoses, I'm like, nope like I will move on to the next person because I don't think that's what's going on. Uh, All of the inhalers they had me on, I don't even know what they called that to be putting me on the inhalers because it wasn't asthma. My asthma tests were all normal. Um, So it was just a lot of unknown. And again, we figured out I had some positive blood work for celiac. So then they were like, okay, all of this is from celiacs. And uh, you know, gluten certainly does make me sick. We know that now, but that was not the reason so I think that uh at the point where one thing looked positive they were like oh this has got to be what the problem was and it's not what the problem was but that's what led me to the nutritionist that I will forever be thankful for so all part of the journey
2: Exactly. Uh, do, do you know what kind of testing they did when they uh diagnosed you? Do you know what testing that you used?
0: Yeah. So I did uh, testing through Igenix Labs. So with Igenix Labs, um, I tested positive for Lyme and Babesiosis, And I don't remember if they tested me for Bartonella at that point. I think that you fill out the different symptom lists and that's what the doctor had tested me for. And I tested positive years later for Bartonella as well with medical diagnosis. Labs,
2: Um, and those were the same two companies we used for my two kids as well. Did you ever get a chance, like, to go back and look at your diagnosis from the primary care and, like, kind of compare it to the um, to your nutritionist care, so just to see how outdated it is and how incorrect these things can be?
0: Yeah, no, I I think it's interesting because my primary care doctor does not have Lyme disease listed as a diagnosis for me, and when I went back to my primary care physician with the positive results from Igenix Labs, the response was, oh, that's a scam. Everybody tests positive through them. So even with test positive test results in hand, um, to this day, there is not acknowledgement that I have Lyme disease.
2: Wow, yeah, that's how naive some of these doctors can be when it comes to Lyme disease. That is wild to hear, even though you showed him, he still says no, but yep. that's great. So once you were diagnosed and finally received the uh, the diagnosis, what were your next steps from there? Like your immediate first next steps. Like I know, like, how'd you feel and what'd you do next?
0: I think again relieved that we finally had an answer. Um, And I feel like I'm an excellent patient, I will do what I am told to do. And I think for me, the next part was really just trying to figure out how to exist with the different treatments, you know, whether it was the antibiotics, or the herbal treatments, or both at the same time, uh, I feel like it was almost a full time job to figure out when to take everything and how to space everything apart. Um, so at the point that I had the formal diagnoses, it really, for me, I kind of went down the rabbit hole. You know, I started doing all of the research, reading all of the books, joining all of the groups online. And, uh, I would say about six months into the journey of treating, I kind of stopped everything. I left all the Facebook groups. You know, I felt like I was having a lot of um, just, it was too much. It was too much in my space. And I wanted to just focus on what I could focus on without having all of this information coming in from other angles. And, you know, I think that in the line groups, one of the pieces that I'll reflect on is a lot of people who are in those groups online are really, really sick. So you're just seeing person after person after person with these stories that are so overwhelming. And I wasn't seeing a lot of, but I got better. I got my life back. I'm okay. Because at the point where people were okay, they weren't in those groups anymore. Um, and I really had to separate myself from that environment. And eventually I was able to go back. And I feel like I've really gone out of my way to share on various um different social media platforms and even through the book like there is hope you can get better and it can be a really long process um but i needed to make sure that i wasn't adding to my own stress factor um with exposure to other people's journeys because it was really
2: overwhelming so dealing with the natural path i my my guess my assumption would be the first thing you probably try was like more so herbals and tinctures and stuff like that would that be correct
0: The first thing I did was find a different naturopath, um, because the one that I had (laughs) been working with, I had been with for over a year. And through that whole time, I had asked about Lyme several times and she felt like that wasn't what was going on and she never tested me. Um, so I did not do any treatment with her. There was another individual who's very well known in Vermont who I started working with and it took a little bit to get in with her. And, um, she started with, uh, natural tinctures and then we, built up to antibiotics. And and then it was a combination of both. And uh, obviously, a really um, intense focus on diet and nutrition. But at that point, I felt like I already really had a good system in place for that. Um And I started doing ionic foot detox treatments and eventually found my way to hyperbaric chamber treatments. So I, through her recommendations, I started to integrate pieces in, uh, but you have to pick and choose because even though I have incredible health insurance, most of this was not covered and we had to treat based on financially what I was able to do at various stages throughout this journey.
2: Now in, in in the Lyme community, a lot of people, there's always a debate versus herbals versus antibiotics. Did you feel one worked better for you or did you feel it was a combination of both? Did how long did it take till you start to feel any relief from either one or the other or both?
0: Yeah. I think that it was probably two years into treating before I really felt a significant shift. I um was not quite prepared for how much worse my symptoms were to get at the point that I started treating. Uh, I didn't think I could feel worse, but at the point that we started to treat and I started to herx, um, I realized that it could get worse than what I had been experiencing. And, um, we had to go slow. We had to go very slow with me. I feel like I reacted very strongly to antibiotics. I reacted very um, strongly to the natural, um, tinctures and, It took a long time to build up to the doses I needed to be on. So I don't think for me personally, I ever had a moment where I'm like, huh, that one particular treatment had a drastic shift, I think. Over the course of time with all of the different things I was doing, um, that is what helped me get to where I am right now. And I know for me personally and with my body, the diet piece has been probably the most critical part of all of this. Um, because the few times over the last nine years that I did stray a little bit, it was like getting kicked back five steps. Um, my body just reacted so severely to that, that I have stuck to this unbelievably clean style of eating. And at this point, it's just routine. It's how I eat. Um, but that for me has been probably one of the most critical parts of all of this.
2: Yeah, like you were saying, diet and sleep, that those are one of the two most important things that, that you can absolutely control yourself that people need to realize and understand that. Those are two things you can control yourself. And if you start yeah. with those, everything else will definitely kick in. So also, while this is going on, like, were you feeling any better at certain points? That everything just always feel worse? Was there some things getting better, some things getting worse? Or how did you feel like improvements? Like, were, mm-hmm. How could you tell you were improving or getting worse?
0: Yeah, no, I think, you know, improvement wise, the migraines started to decrease, they weren't as intense, they weren't as often. Um, I had moments where I had more energy. Um, I had moments where I wouldn't realize, oh, my pain's less until all of a sudden it came back again. So as I would herx and all of a sudden feel worse, I'd be like, oh, I didn't even realize this particular symptom had eased up. Um, so I do think that there were lots of ups and downs for me. And I think that I'd go through phases of really intense brain fog. And then I would have this like magical break from it. And then when it would return, it was so much harder to deal with because I got like a taste of not having the brain fog. Um I would say about a year into treatment, the air hunger really started to decrease. And that in itself was an absolute miracle. Um, The air hunger was probably one of my most horrific symptoms and uh, having the relief from that and just feeling like I could breathe again. Uh, With that, I had less of that kind of dizzy disconnected feeling because I think my organs were getting the amount of oxygen that they needed. Um, So it was definitely the slow journey of symptoms starting to get just a little bit better and a little bit better. And I would say in the last three years, um, it's just continued
2: to get better. Do you like take track of certain things that you do that make you, that, like when you feel better, like, do you realize that you might've done something early in the day that made you feel better and, mm-hmm. or something that you did that made you feel worse? Were you able to keep track of things like that?
0: Yeah, moving. I have to move. So I get up at five o'clock in the morning and I work out every single day before I get my kiddos up for school. And when I'm at the office, I have to get up and I have to walk. If I don't move, I get stiff and uncomfortable in a way. uh, Maybe it's my age, but I feel like it has more to do with Lyme disease. Um, I am very, very aware of when I am not doing the things I need to do specific to my self-care. If I don't sleep well, it I, big impact um i need to sleep i know that about myself and i'm somebody who is very happy coming home after all the kids activities and putting my pajamas on and being low-key for the evening um the eating piece is absolutely critical and i think for me again really sticking to what it is that my doctors are asking me to do
2: in regards to treatment so we, we spoke on some of the um maybe like the herbals and antibiotics you use and stuff like that, what what type of uh, therapies did you use? I know you say you mentioned like hyperbaric chamber, a tiny foot detox. Can you go a little details about those?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I did 40 sessions of hyperbaric
2: chamber treatment. Well, 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 what is that? Is that because some people might not know what it is, could you explain that a little bit?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's a chamber that you go into and then they do something with the air pressure in it. And you have an oxygen mask on and it allows for the oxygen to like get into all the nooks and crannies where Lyme can hide. Um, That's the way that it was explained to me. And it really, I felt good after. I very much appreciated going and having those sessions. It was long. It was like a two hour commitment every time I went. And about 10 sessions in is when my son got diagnosed with Lyme disease, So he started going into hyperbaric chamber with me. And you want to talk about feeling like you're in a tornado, having a four-year-old in a tiny little chamber for two hours. I'd come out and my hair would be like sticking straight up. They're like, how was that? Um, But he and I had so much fun in there. We'd bring like a million toys and we'd make a fort. And uh, they had the the ones you could sit in. One time we did the lie down one, and uh, that did not go well. I was hoping he would nap, and he did not. Uh, but the hyperbaric chamber, again, it really helped with a lot of the brain fog for me. And again, just that concentrated oxygen being able to get into your body that way isn't something you can create outside of the hyperbaric chamber um it's actually something that at this point in my treatment i'm actually looking into again um because i still have some neurological symptoms they are nothing compared to what they used to be but it might be as i'm like winding down on needing treatment at this point it's kind of those final touches that they're wanting me to try um i also did ionic um cold laser ionic foot detox. There's a woman here in Vermont, where you go and you put your feet in this little machine and there's um, a piece of equipment that she puts in and it helps to kind of detox your body. And the particular treatment she used incorporates cold laser. And I don't understand all the details of how it works. But what I do know is that through the course of the t- session, I would get very brain foggy, very fatigued. And after I felt so good. So this was something I was doing weekly
2: um, for probably a year and a half. And my son did those treatments too. Were these treatments that um, your doctor recommended or is these something you just kind of looked up on your own? No, this was something that my doctor had recommended. That's nice. I also see you mentioned uh, infrared mats and saunas yeah. and stuff like that. How how were those experience for you?
0: Yeah. So that infrared mat gets used more in this house than any other uh, seat. We have it on the couch. And if we're not on it, our little Yorkshire Terrier is on it. Uh, So everybody in my house is getting a solid dose of infrared uh, heat. It just feels good. And uh, I got mine off the Lime Warrior website. And uh, it's actually our second mat. We've gone through two of them because it gets used so much. And you can have it on your couch. People will put it under their sheets and actually sleep on it uh, for a lower period of time. Time. Um, but it's amazing I feel like my body just feels good on it and we have one of the zip up saunas as well one of the dry saunas and uh, it's interesting I haven't used it once this entire winter and I had not even reflected on that until we were just uh, you just asked that question but in previous winters uh, I was in it often and for the first year probably I was using it did not sweat one drop so I'd just sit in there and bake. I'd be so hot. And then at the point where I was treating and um, they had me on binders and everything else, all of a sudden I started sweating again. And it was this incredible experience where when I was really, really sick, I couldn't even sweat. And I remember that first day that I got sweaty in the chamber being so excited because it was like my body was starting to work again.
2: Now, w- was this a, a regular sauna or was this an infrared sauna like your man? Or was it just a, a normal sauna?
0: Yeah. So this one has infrared in it. It's one of the zip up ones.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. And also with that cold laser, do you know if that was infrared as well or was it, it was just.
0: I don't, I'm not sure, with
2: that. I I might've had some infrared laser treatments back then as well. So I know infrared normally is pretty good with Lyme disease. Yep. Yep. Now uh, while you were going through these treatments, uh, were your children doing some of these same treatments? Yeah oh, so my daughter,
0: my daughter with Lyme, I mean at the point that she treated very quickly, the lingering symptoms she had seemed to go away. Um, so for her part of her journey she didn't need the additional pieces. My son definitely had a very different experience. So he did hyperbaric with me, he did foot detox sessions with me. He'd go in the sauna just because, again, we're in Vermont. It's cold here, and like you know, it would zip, and you'd just see his little face sticking out. And obviously, he wasn't in there nearly as long as I was. But you know, if Mom came out of the sauna, the kids are like, "I get the sauna next," <laughs> um, and he's on that mat more than anybody else in this house. And it's he's not on the mat because he doesn't feel good. He's just on the mat because it feels good and it's warm. So he's still getting the benefits of it. Um, and I think that we will forever have those mats in this house just because they're
2: incredible. <laughs> No, they definitely are. Are you still currently treating for uh, Lime as well? Yep. Lyme. So okay. I have
0: been off of antibiotics for over two years at this point and only doing herbal. And I'm actually waiting for test results right now. So we just tested me again for Lyme, Bartonella and Babesiosis through medical diagnostic labs. And we are in the waiting phase. Um, But the current doctor that I'm working with, the hope is that I'm not showing positive for any of those and we can really shift our process to just continue the healing of my body. I have a lot of food sensitivities, um, and restrictions around food that never existed prior to getting sick with Lyme disease. And I think a lot of that has to do with how intense my treatment was. And I think we have a lot of gut restoration that needs to happen so that I'm able to get back to some degree of normalcy with eating where it's not as restricted as it currently
2: is. Yeah, that's a lot of problems with people in the Lyme disease, people who have Lyme disease, gut, gut problems. And, and, And sometimes when people say that it comes from, well, the use of antibiotics and stuff like that do you feel like that might have caused some of your gut issues like maybe the overuse of antibiotics yeah
0: i would absolutely say so
2: so you haven't been on antibiotics for about two years now you said yep
0: we've just done solely uh herbal for the last two years
2: awesome 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 so, how what, what, you you mentioned you were getting retested. How do you feel about retesting? Because I know sometimes that can be kind of expensive. Is that something that you you feel that people need to do, kind of sort of, or do you think that's a case by case basis? Just. Uh...
0: Yeah, I think medical diagnostics, my insurance covers. So that was a beautiful gift when I found that out, because with iGenics, that was all out of pocket. Um, So my insurance actually covers the medical diagnostic testing. And, you know, I've worked with three different um, Lyme literate doctors at this point, just because two people retired and one person stopped taking insurance. So I, you know, had to switch around a little bit. Uh, and it's still astonishing to me. It's such a different school of thought. You know, the current person I'm working with feels like you can be fully healed from Lyme and it will be completely removed from your body through treatment. The last person I worked with felt like it's dormant and you get it low enough that it's not causing any issues. I just feel like there's such a different schools of thought. I had one doctor who never retested because they said it was a waste of money. But you know what you have. There's no reason to retest. The current person I'm working with has a very different opinion on that. Uh, so it's still just so surprising to me that through this journey, um, the four people I've worked with have all had unbelievably different approaches and different opinions
2: on how all of this is with Lyme. Now, was there anything specific you did to try to help restore your gut, like uh, any type of therapies or medicines you did for that?
0: So I've taken some different, you know, GI revive type things. things. Um, I think for me, the continued nutritional piece has been really, really important Um, just making sure that I'm eating really healthy. Um, But I do think that with this uh, person I'm currently working with, once we have these test results, she has plans to kind of do a restore the gut uh, protocol, which will be different than anything I've done. You know, I've been on probiotics and prebiotics and digestive enzymes. You know, I've done those pieces, but I think that she will have a much more thorough approach at the point that we really kind of pinpoint the next
2: steps in my journey. No, you you also mentioned you have a lot of food allergies now that you developed that you didn't have before. Like how did you come across those? Did you test for those or was it just due by just eating stuff that you normally ate and then you felt weird or different after that? How'd you, how'd that come about? How'd you figure those out?
0: Yeah. So food sensitivity testing was something that we did kind of early in my journey with getting sick. Um, and I came back positive. For a lot of food sensitivities. So you then go through the elimination diets, and then you slowly start adding things back in again. And what was interesting is a lot of the things I was trying to add back in all of a sudden, I couldn't add back in because they made me feel really sick, where that had not necessarily been the experience before. And I think through the process of not really knowing what was going on. Um, you know, they're like, you need to be gluten free, dairy free, soy free, food free, you know, it's kind of like I felt like they took everything away, uh, sugar free. And, uh, you know, there's an element where looking back, I wish that I had not gone as extreme as we did. And again, I'm a great patient, I do a great job listening. And if that's what I was told to do, that's what I did. Um, But I almost feel like I don't think how dairy bothered me previously. And now if I try to have it, I really don't feel good, I can do okay with goat yogurt and goat cheeses. Um, but cow dairy isn't something I've been able to reintroduce back in again. And part of me just suspects it's because I haven't had it in nine years. And I don't know that I really needed to eliminate, you know, some of the things that we eliminated, we were blindly eliminating foods because we didn't know what was going on.
2: Exactly. Well, since we're on the topic of foods and you wrote your book about foods and healthy for the kids, like what's a typical meal like for you, like just throughout the day, like just what you're clean eating? What's a typical meal like for you throughout the day?
0: Yeah. So I drink shakes every morning, protein shakes, and uh, I make huge salads for lunch. I always say that if I ever decide not to be a social worker, I'm going to open up a salad truck somewhere. Um, I've gotten really creative with salads and I do a ton of meal prep and I will buy pounds of ground turkey and I'll cook it all up and then cool it and I freeze it in individual bags in the freezer. And that's what I put in my salads. I do that with sweet potatoes. So I do a lot of meal prep and then I do a lot of freezing. So in the morning, when I'm getting ready for work, I can do salad with cabbage and carrots and avocados. And then I have frozen sweet potatoes and frozen um, turkey that I just throw into the salads. And I make my own salad dressing with oil and lemon juice and salt and garlic. Um, So I feel like I'm very routine in what I eat. Uh, I always eat goat yogurt in the afternoon with fresh berries and flaxseed in it. And then dinner time is, you know, meats and vegetables. And sometimes I'll do quinoa uh, or brown rice, but uh, you know, my, my diet's very clean. I don't really eat anything that's pre-packaged. Um, I do a lot of baking with my son. A lot of the recipes in the book are, you know, he loves these chocolate banana muffins that we came up with and you can turn them into brownies or cakes. Um, I make apple cake all the time for him and I. And, you know, it's sweetened with unsweetened applesauce. So there's no sugar in it. Uh, everything that I make is it kind of follows what the lime diet expects in regards to not adding the extra sugar and gluten in. And, uh, you know, last night, that's what we were eating at 730 at night last night. So I feel like we certainly don't go without. My son is eating brownies and cookies uh, all of the time. His ability to eat um, what he wants is far far better than mine. I still have a lot of pieces that we need to work on in regards to introducing foods back in. Um, But the recipes in the book are very much based on how does a little kid feel like a little kid and be able to have cookies and have brownies um, and not feel left out when everybody else at school is having those things. And everything that um, I have for recipes in his book, I make in bulk and I freeze all of that too so i'll give him frozen cookies out of the freezer and by snack time they're defrosted and uh, the recipes work really well for that so lots of meal prep lots of meal prep and uh just consistency <laughs> with what i have
2: well, i'm glad you mentioned meal prep cuz like when you sit with lamas you don't want to cook every day so like that 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 takes right. a toll if you, you have to cook every day cuz you can't just go out and just buy fast food or stuff from the restaurant so most okay. people, a lot of these, like if you're trying to get better, like you, you probably have to cook your own food more than likely and just cooking enough of it just so you have a bunch of it. So you don't need to cook every night, every day. You can just cook enough for two or three days. And a lot of the times we, we're eating the same thing, but at least it's not harming us as much. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, how you cooking with your son and stuff like that, like how you, how you got the book and the sweets and the goodies for them, like the adults need those, too, because we still like sweets, too. Yeah. Okay. We we, exactly. still, do that, we exactly. still do that good stuff too. So like it's great for the kids, and trust me, we all need it. So yes, glad you yep, did. I would that. Agree. Very 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 <laughs> glad you did that. And uh, I guess my last question will kind of be. Um, I guess we kind of talked about like just uh, your last little bit. So you're still working on your last little bit of treatments for Lyme disease. How by, how often do you get treated or uh, supplements? Like to go see their doctors, and how how often do you do that still?
0: Yeah, so I connect with my um, Lyme specialist every six weeks. And at this point, I am on two different tinctures. And I feel great. I mean, I feel like I have moments where I have like little flare ups here and there. But my day to day functioning, uh, Lyme is not something that is taking a toll on my day. And, uh, you know, I think i Have moments where I'm like, ah, am I fatigued and tired right now because of Lyme? Or is it just because I work full time, have two kids, and I'm a taxi driver because they are old enough that they have all of the activities in the evening? Um, You know, I feel like I'm not having significant impacts on the day to day and I feel like some of the pieces that still linger a little bit I've actually started working with an occupational therapist who specializes in the brain and that has been an incredible experience and I would say for people who are experiencing kind of brain fog still or any neurological symptoms who have had a line for a period of time this was something that I just happened to come across and uh, nobody had ever said to me, oh, you can go to an occupational therapist who can help with that. Uh, it has been amazing what she has been able to stir up. And uh, I thought some of those symptoms were still Lyme, but I don't think it's Lyme. I think it was actually the aftermath of having Lyme for as long as I did. And through her um, experience, it's very treatable. And I feel like I've already been working with her for a couple of months. And it's a notable difference that I'm experiencing in regard. To just brain fatigue, if that makes sense. There is this phase after we go through getting
1: ourselves ready for the battle, that prehabilitation phase, and then of course we go through that phase where we're we're aiding our body and killing the disease. We then have to go through rehabilitation, and what we what we've seen as a pattern here is that not only do you want to go through a process of rehabilitating your body, but you need to go through a process of rehabilitating your brain right mm-hmm. because your neural pathways are going to change as a result of either the trauma associated with being you know in this experience or having bugs in your brain and the impact that having the bugs in the brain is going to have yes. so there are many there are many um, many folks who have gone through these neural retraining programs as a result of uh, as a result of having this experience and finding that
0: symptoms that they had begin to drop off with this new early training. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think it's been incredible. I think for me driving, I get really tired still. And um, the individual I'm working with was able to say to me that my brain, my vision, visually, my I'm working 70% harder than the person next to me just to process what I'm seeing, which is astonishing to me because I work full time and I feel great. And that's the piece that I said to her. I feel like a million bucks compared to how I felt when I was really sick And, uh, she was talking all about the neural pathways. She's like, it's just about reprogramming them. And you have all of these neural pathways. Anybody who's gone through something like this is going to have ones where your brain goes, whoop, we're going to go this route. And now what we're doing is retraining it to say, oh, nope, here's the new one we're building. And now that one's getting stronger. And eventually this one will stop working. And then we've got those healthy neuropathways really strong and working in your brain. And uh, it's incredible. It's very, very exciting. And again, this is a newer part of the work that I'm doing at the moment. And in just the short amount of time I've been working with her, it's been notable how different I have felt. And, you know, she can piss things off in a particular way, which isn't pleasant, but it's also exciting to me, if that makes any sense. And it was actually interesting because the first day I met with her, I like broke down crying, which is not an experience I've ever had. You know, the whole time I've been dealing with this, I felt like I have been having to advocate for myself and nobody's really understood. Um, and she got it. Like she just understood and she felt so bad that this is a journey I've been on. And I think for her, just knowing that this is still the experience people are having. is heartbreaking to her and you know for her to give the the ability to state to me i i understand what's happening in your brain right now and i can help you and this is fixable it was just so overwhelming because you know you get to a point where you're like okay i'm about 90 percent better is this just the new normal and I'll always just be 90%. And I think she gave me a lot of hope that 90% isn't good enough and you can get further than that. Christina And I want to
1: give you some additional, uh, you know, validation on that front. We recently interviewed uh, Rachel Leland uh, Mm -hmm. who who publishes brilliant book that, that uh, we're actually going to be, uh, you know, promoting pretty aggressively as well uh, in addition to promoting you and your book. And uh, one of the things that she shared was that when she went through DNRS, um, That all of the allergies that she had, and her and and her allergies um, were were horrific to the point where uh, she wasn't. Uh, she She's a um, she's a, uh, a speech pathologist, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and she, you know her her allergies were so um, you know so acute that she was having trouble going to work uh, mm-hmm. because of the the the, the cleaning um, substances that they were using at her school. And uh, as it turns out, that that all disappeared once she went through her neural training program. And it was pretty rigorous and it took it took her a, a fair amount of uh, of time. And she had to be, you know, um, pretty spartan about uh, about doing this rigorous program. But uh, actually, her, her allergies disappeared after uh, the neural training. So I, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that will be your experience as well. And, and, and I'm going to ask you to report back to us so we can share that with folks as well.
0: So yeah, I had actually done a lot of DNRS myself, especially with all the chemical sensitivities and I notable difference. And I think it's something that I actually pulled the book out a couple of weeks ago, because I think now that we're focusing on gut repair, I feel like DNRS is something I do want to utilize as part of that process. All
1: right, great. So uh, I'm sure Annie Hopper will be happy to hear you back on the uh, on the protocol. <laughs> that is a you know great book. So. Um, <clears throat> Before we before we go to the 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 transformation last transformation piece that I want to discuss with you, I, I want I want to stay with the 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 the, uh, the journey of achievement for one more second. I'd like you to now speak to uh, the thirty year old woman, a thirty one year old woman who first got sick, and I'd like you to tell her what she should be prepared for on this journey. Meaning, what would you what would you have wanted her to do, and what would you have wanted her to know so that she could have had a shorter um, shorter journey to the you know the the wonderful place you find yourself today
0: Mm. that's a good question I think if I could go back I would do some prep work in regards to how tough things were going to be and try to give as much hope to not focus on that piece and know that eventually it would be figured out and I would get better. Um, My biggest advice would be to be open to styles of medicine that I did not grow up with. I did not grow up with natural paths. Um, I feel like had I gone that route sooner, maybe my journey would not have taken so long to figure out. I was very focused on medical doctors different experts in different portions of the fields and I wish that I had been more open to looking at alternative approaches. Um, It took me a while to get there and at the point that I did there was no going back for me. There's been a drastic shift for me in regards to my thinking with all of that. Um, I think I... Had the experience of, I mean, as a social worker, one of the pieces I took away from all of this is if this is my experience working with the medical field, what are my families going through that I work with? What are my clients going through? What is the parent who's a single mom? It was mind boggling for me um, the way I was treated and what that experience looked like as somebody who is walking in as a licensed clinical social worker (laughs) who directs programs, um, having people say to me, Oh, I think you're just anxious. This is anxiety. I'm like, no, it's not. Like I can tell you how you diagnose anxiety and just having symptoms alone is not what you need. All three, you know, there's three areas that need to be looked at, not just one. Um, Yeah. I, I feel like it's, you can lose faith very quickly in everything. And, uh, I wish I had had some degree of preparation for how intense and exhausting this process was going to be. And I wish that I had understood what the process to healing would look like. Um, and I wish that I had the information to know that it was going to be okay in the long run. All right,
1: that's beautiful. So um, let's now talk about um, the other beautiful element of this journey, which is now, or you know, or I should, I, I guess I should say, the truly beautiful element of this journey is, of course, it's been transformational for you, right? I mean, it's allowed you to become a more pure version of yourself, and it's allowed you to give to the world in a way that you wouldn't have not. Would not have been able to do that. And you sort of outlined a lot of that, um, how you become a, an even more empathetic person with the people that you're working with. But talk to us about the bigger picture. And I'd like you to tie that into um, how that uh, helped you to be called to write your book.
0: Yeah. So I think this gave me the ability to step back and look at what actually mattered in life at the point that you're really sick and you lose the ability to do everything. Uh, I think you have such an appreciation for when you are able to do those things again, and you know, my partner and I did a lot of hiking this past year, which was huge for me because the outdoors does not call my name in the way that it used to because I do have a lot of anxiety. I don't want to be walking barefoot through the grass, no thank you. However, I was able to get to a place of um hiking, like hiking a lot and loving it, and it's nothing I've ever done before. So I feel like I have found new passions um, and work-life balance has shifted for me. I think prior to getting sick, I was somebody who would do all the things. And at the point that I walked through all of this, it very much became about like work is my job. And when I leave there, I truly need to leave it there. And I need to be home with my children and be present. And I really need to take care of myself in a particular way. And I feel like that has carried forward as I have gotten better. You know, I love my job, but I also to understand that at the end of the day, like that is just a small portion of what my bigger life experience is. And I want to be at the beach with my children and I want to hear about their days and I don't want to be getting phone calls and emails. So I feel like it's really given me a lot of perspective in regards to how to be present in my life um, in a way that I don't think I would have, had I not gone through what I've gone through. And for me, this has now kind of become how do I pay it forward? You know, I had this experience. Uh, I've shared a lot about this experience. I did a lot on social media, actually, um, when I was really sick and connected with a lot of incredible people. And the writing of the book. I already feel fulfilled in that in some regard. Uh, You know, the first email I got back from a parent who had read it to their child and she sent me a picture of the child holding it with this humongous smile on their face. I was like, that's it? You know what I mean? Like, obviously I would love for this book to be purchased by everybody who has a child with food uh, sensitivities or food restrictions, but knowing that our story and our journey resulted in this book, that a child, singular, had this incredible reaction to uh, and made it all worthwhile. You know, I just feel like we didn't have Lyme disease and we treated and got better and we just moved on with our life. I feel like we were able to take what was a really traumatizing experience and have this way of celebrating kind of the conclusion of us all getting better um, by having this book that can now be uh, shared with other people. And I know there's a a little one that um, is in the community whose mom got a copy of my book from somebody else because she is a child with a lot of uh, severe food allergies. And the mom had actually texted me. And she's like, my child said, there's other children like me. I didn't know there were other children like me. And then her child, who's preschool age, was able to meet my kids at a picnic. And it was like, oh, you're Trevor from the book. Oh, you're Julianne from the book. And uh, how incredible. Like, just what an incredible experience.
1: That is really cool. So where, where can folks get the book uh, so they can help their children or help the children of friends who uh, may be struggling with either Lyme or uh, another chronic illness?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's on Amazon. Uh, If you go to Amazon and you just search Ninja Foods and put Christina Glowack in, the book pops up. Uh, it's available on ebook. You can get soft cover. You can get hardcover. Um, it's on Barnes and Noble uh, here in northern Vermont. It's in a bunch of the bookstores up here. Uh, but Amazon is typically the direction that I point people because most people have access to that. And uh, I tell people to log in. I'll, I'll post online on my own site um, when it's on sale because sometimes it goes on sale on Amazon. And I always ask if people read it to leave a review because I think it's great to get the information out there and for other people to know about that. And I have on Facebook, a Ninja Foods page. And then on Instagram, I also have Ninja Foods underscore children's book.
1: So you've given us so much, uh, Christine, it's just, this has been a really, really cool and powerful interview. Uh, But I have one more ask. And my final, my final ask of you, and I shared with you that we have a new question here at Tick Boot Camp, and actually, the the interview that Matt and I did um, uh, earlier this week was the first time we came up with a new question, uh, and it will be in the questionnaire for the for the newer uh, guests. But since um, since I have a uh, a really powerfully educated um, a social worker, I'm not going to be upset about surprising her. So here's the final question: yeah. I would like you to give us the top three no cost or low cost recommendations you would make for treatment for people who are on a chronic Lyme disease journey?
0: Okay. Uh, Number one would be diet. And I think that eating healthy can be expensive. I understand that for sure. But I also think that there are ways to go about doing it. Uh, That can be lower in cost with how you purchase things. And if you buy more in bulk and you do meal prep and then you're freezing, uh, it not only saves time and energy, but it also makes it so that food is readily available for you. I think that's one of the most challenging portions of dealing with this is when you're tired and you're fatigued and you don't have stuff prepared, you may not have the energy to cook. Um, and I feel like if you're able to get other people in your lives that are in your family, if they're able to figure out how to make some simple meals for you or you find a couple of your favorite crockpot meals where you can throw it in in the morning and then in the evening when you come home tired, you already have food going. I've got beef stew cooking right now. Um, you know, that is going to keep you on track. So I think that preparation piece is really, really important. Uh, the second one is Stretching. Uh, I know that for a lot of people, when you are dealing with something like Lyme, the fatigue and the body pain and the stiffness is so significant. And somebody asking or telling you to do something as simple as stretching or walking can seem outrageous because you may not have the energy to do that or the desire to do that. Um, If you can get up and walk even a little bit, March in place, stretch. The impact that then has on how your body feels is so significant. And, you know, I feel like if you do it for a couple of weeks, it's just going to become part of your routine. Um, It's a must for me. It's a non-negotiable in my day. And I feel like as I moved through treatment, and my endurance started to return again, um, you know, it's it's just something I I literally build it into my day. If you look at my work calendar, walk, 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 and it's not consistent, but it happens every single day. It might be two o'clock today, 10 o'clock tomorrow, any little 30 minute chunk, I can stick it in there. Uh, I'm making that happen and I'm making that a priority. I think the other piece that I would reflect on is, you know, in regards to treatment, um, it is expensive and, you know, antibiotics for me, at least were covered by my insurance. So that I appreciated Um, most of the herbals were not. And I think for me, it's very important that you're advocating for yourself and you are telling the doctors what it is that you actually need. Um, I have worked with doctors who would have had me taking $800 a month worth of supplements if I had followed the plan that they wanted me on. And I had to say, I'm not willing to not go to the movies once in a while with my kids because I'm putting all of my money into treatment. Uh, what is the top two things that I can be on? Or is there a different website I can order this from? And is there a discount code? Uh, I think that advocating is really, really important. And I think shopping around for a doctor that is going to be able to meet your needs is absolutely critical. And I feel like even right now with the newer person I'm working with, I have loved who I have been working with, but I feel like I've plateaued. And I feel like within that plateau, I'm like, okay, we're just kind of adding more on right now, but I don't really feel different. I don't feel better. I don't feel worse. I think I need a new approach. And with that new approach, um, the individual that I'm now working with, we've already had the conversation in regards to the amount. I'm like, I'm not spending, I cannot spend all of hundreds of dollars every single month on treatment. Uh, And she's like, yep, nope. I understand that. And I think that her willingness to work with me around those pieces is really, really important. Um, So I think having the treatment, that you can consistently do is gonna be more important than diving in and then not being able to continue with it. You know, slow and steady, I think, is going to do more for somebody in the long run than not consistently doing something. Oh, okay, so so to
1: sum it up, and I love all three points, Mm -hmm. your first recommendation is food prep, your second recommendation is movement, progressing towards towards, uh, stretching, and the third is being a financial advocate for yourself with your medical providers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wonderful, I love all three. So thank you for sharing those three uh, low cost and no cost options uh, that would be helpful on a healing journey. And I can't can't thank you enough for all you do for the community uh, by writing the wonderful book, by sharing your journey on podcasts like this one, especially this one. Um, (laughs) And uh, and I wanna also thank you Khalil for being kind enough Take time again away from your family and and uh, and your artistry to uh, to uh, join us here as a co-host for Tick Bootcamp.
2: Always, thanks for having me.
0: Yes, thank you so much.